Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bonnie D. in the house. Happy to be here. If you're not aware, this is our longest-running SAP-presented Game Changers radio show. 11 years. Let's hear it for 11, and we're hoping to make it a dozen, aren't we, Pras Chatterjee? We're working on getting renewed for next year. Hint, hint, hint. So uh, let's see what we're going to do today. I have some interesting—I want to sing a song, actually, Pras. We didn't practice this. I hope you'll forgive me. But there's an old song. I'll just sing a little bit. It usually ruins the show when I sing— Tell me a story, tell me. Does anybody remember, Brian, do you remember that one? Might be from an old TV show. I'm not going to give my age. We won't go with it. So that's a clue to what we're talking about today. Let me tell you. And everybody wave hello to LinkedIn, wave hello to Facebook, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. We're not talking about how to balance your checkbook or where to get cheap gas. This is about the finance department in companies, whether it's yours, whether it's an organization, you know, the office of the CFO, chief financial officer, that function we're talking about. So I have a quote from Peter Guber, G-U-B-E-R, CEO of Mandalay Entertainment, but you may know him as the co-owner of NBA's Golden State Warriors and MLB's LA Dodgers, used to be Brooklyn when I was growing up. Hello. Here's the quote. Purposeful storytelling isn't show business, it's good business. Ah, now you know where we're going. I have a quote from Joe Lazoskis and Shane Snow, who are the co-authors of a book called The Storytelling Edge. I think you know our theme. They say, good stories surprise us. They make us think and feel. They stick in our minds and help us remember ideas and concepts in a way that a PowerPoint crammed with bar graphs never can. Well, there we said it. Okay, talking about old technology, right, Greg? And now I have a quote from Robert McKee, who calls himself the story mentor. He teaches and lectures about story. He says, storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world. And I have one more, courtesy of Greg Wright, one of our panelists today. Uh, This is from Gandalf, played by Ian McKellen in The Hobbit, an unexpected journey, 2012 high fantasy adventure film. You all know The Hobbit. And the quote is, and this is controversial, all good stories deserve... Embellishment, oh my. So perhaps surprisingly, these observations about and about the value of storytelling hold true for today's finance, planning, and analysis function. You're all going, what? Seriously? Telling stories about finance? What about moving the data? Well, let me talk a little more. The role of finance is evolving to become a strategic business partner. And this is what we've been talking about, right, Pras? How many years have we been talking about this? It's evolving to become a steward of the business with analytics, with insights, with real-time diagnostics, with insight that will help move the business forward. Not just, oh, we're sitting in the basement with an eye shade and a green banker's lamp doing spreadsheets. No more. But the CFO's team needs the right tools to become a great storyteller. Why? They have to weave a narrative around actual events. They have to explain variances and explain them well and provide guidance. Beyond the spreadsheets, ah, they need modern analytics. They need trusted data. They need actionable dashboards in order to recommend and guide their organizations to make the best possible business decisions. That's the bottom line of the bottom line. I have three very special 
panelists today. Wave hello when I call your name, Brian Kalish at Kalish Consulting. He's a regular on the show. We're always happy to have you back. He has so many organizations he works with. He's just using the window shade background because he wanted everybody to feel nobody was being singled out. Brian, we're going to get you with a background one of these days. Pras Chatterjee at SAP Pras. Oh, I've been working with you for so many years. Delighted to have you. And I know you told me nobody's going to run a vacuum or a blender in the background today because you're, yes, okay, we'll go with that. And Greg Wright at Vantage Point Business Solutions. Greg, you haven't been on a show with me and Pras since 2015. How dare you? I'm glad we have you back. Very, very glad. And the topic today is Enhanced Planning and Analysis, the Superpower of Storytelling and Analytics. Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. Let's go around the table. Brian and Pross, for you, I ran special analytics. And I figured by now, Brian and Pross, each of you, there's about 4.25 people in the world who don't know who you are. That's it. Brian, would you please tell those 4.2 whatever, update them on what you've been up to since the last time you were on, which was about two months ago. Brian, welcome. Go ahead. Well, it's great to be here, Bonnie. It's great here to be with Pras and to, to be with Greg. Um, to Brian Kalish, I mean, really what I'm involved in right now is really helping organizations make better, faster, smarter decisions. So when we talk about, you know, storytelling and data analytics, I don't want to say you're throwing me a softball, but, you know, you know, for me, what's fascinating is when I describe what a good FP&A professional is, it's a quant data analytics who tells great stories. And then the third part is the business partnering that completely understands my business. And so, you know, for tonight, today's topic is fantastic. I could spend seven hours talking about this. It's, 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 it's truly what's really top of mind. When we think about it, you know, in a very holistic approach, you know, it's, it's incorporating our people, our processes, our technology, and our culture. And what we really need to do, it's fantastic. I mean, I think um, and I, I always reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow than today with my very esteemed uh, panelists and, and moderator. But the data acquisition battle that we had 15 years ago is over. I'm a believer we can get access to whatever data that we want, whether it's structured, unstructured, internal, external. But data of itself doesn't do anything just because we sit on a lot of data. Most of the data we sit on is dark. And so what we need to do is we need to take data, convert it into information, transform that into insight, create knowledge that at the end of the day helps the business make a decision. And what's really fascinating, so part of it, obviously, I'm very rah-rah on FP&A, but you know, FP&A is a universal function, right? doesn't matter whether you're in Texas or California, Minnesota, London, Dubai, I'm going to be in Vienna at an SAP conference in, in two weeks. Everyone understands what's going on. And, you know, so before we get much further with that, you know, in my background really is, you know, I was on the corporate side for about 25 years in financial services. Um, I went to work for a nonprofit that was very focused on supporting the FP&A practice. What I'm involved with right now is, is you know, consulting again from the people process uh, technology culture, helping them make better decisions. I also teach at Florida International University and do corporate training. And, you know, basically it's just a privilege to, to be here today because, again, we've also started, the world's opened up again. I've gotten to London. I've gotten to Dubai. Like I said, I'm going to Vienna. Um, and that's really what my background is. Thank you very much. And, Brian, what I ask our guests all the time is, in addition to what you do and who you are, 
What makes you an expert on this, and what's your passion for the topic? And you've expressed your passion very well, so thank you very much. Great overview of the show, Brian. I think the show's over. We already got everything we need. Brian, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Pras, what's new with you? Talk to me. Go ahead. Hey, Bonnie, happy to be here and so excited again for the uh, eighth or ninth time this year and, you know, the many times over the last 11 years. And uh, yeah, I uh, love this show. And uh, more than anything, I love storytelling. I I think back to early on in my career, you know, I was a king of spreadsheets with arrays, with Mm VLOOKUPs embedded within HLOOKUPs and, and, you know, linking to other sheets. And I was able to just present data. And I remember a CFO once told me that to advance in my career, you know, it's you know I've gone the ninety percent, but that ten percent, being able to weave a narrative, tell a story, that's what'll take me further. I may not have been able to do that because I left the world of finance to go into you know uh, ERP and planning software and such. But my colleagues in finance, I want you to tell a story. I want you to tell an amazing story, and I hope a show like this with these great experts and you, Bonnie, will be able to help inspire them and achieve those goals. Thank you very much. You're very kind. I, I have a question for you, Pras, before we go to yeah. Greg. And Greg, we have to catch up on everything with you because it's been <laughs> seven years. I'm sorry. You got got to bring us up to date the chronology. I added a quote, the quote from uh, Gandalf to the opening, Pras, and he said, the character, all good stories deserve mm-hmm. embellishment. I felt that was dangerous, and courtesy to Greg Wright for sending me that for his quote, but I said, because it's on the topic, we can't use it during the quote part of the show, but I'll put it in the opening. So my question, just for you, Pras, briefly, is embellishment. I'm going to say, how dare he, (laughs) when we're talking about finance, bending the data to fit the narrative, or does the narrative fit the data? Just briefly, Pras, what's your thought on that embellishment quote? You know, I think it's okay. I mean, it's a part of budgeting and forecasting. We've always heard of sandbagging and such, but I think the data supports a narrative at the end of the day. Don't really know if there's embellishment. I think, uh, you know, as shares, you know, CFOs, for example, they got on earnings calls. We're in earnings seasons right now. Uh, they speak their narrative. I mean, uh, they tell their story. They speak on what's happened, why, what's about to happen, why things are going to happen. They either choose to give guidance or not to give guidance. They're always telling a story, uh, but there's ways to pick up on tidbits in the story and, you know, pass your own judgment. I mean, we know there's algos right now that are looking for every single keyword and tonation in their voice to basically move their stocks up and down. So I think there's a nice system of checks and balances already there, you know, to catch the embellishment or the degree embellishment. So I'm not too worried about it myself. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's move on. Greg Wright, welcome back. 2015, even you couldn't believe it's been so long. You and I had a nice catch-up call yesterday. Why don't you give us an update, a little bit about Vantage Point Business Solutions and a lot about Greg Wright. Pretend nobody knows who you are. Don't embellish. Just give us your story. (laughs) (laughs) I had to add that in. Greg Wright, welcome back. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. Just uh, thrilled to be here. I uh, wanted to uh, maybe give some feedback in the sense that um, I've uh, it's been an experience uh, since 2015, certainly up to where we are right now. But um, it's changed the world, and uh, stories changing every day. In fact, it's interesting to see even on TV, the news. Uh, it's almost become a story in itself, a fantasy story, if you would, sometimes depending as to who's giving the information and who's giving the details. Uh, but uh, we all love a good story and we all uh, like to tell stories and hear stories. And uh, that's actually what we all are doing on the show today. But um, that's what I've realized uh, over my travels as well, is that everybody 
have got stories. So uh, whether it be uh, you know personal stories about where you're at, where you're going to, or uh, or, or where you are right now uh, and what you're learning right now. And so for my personal story, um, I'm originally from South Africa. That's the acting. After college, uh, did my uh, backpacking. Was originally going to go through Europe. Ended up in the UK, and that's where I, I, I met my. My, my probably second major story, first one just growing up, but second major story realizing that um, uh, even in business, people need to hear what's going on. And in those days, which was uh, uh, prior to what Brian was talking about, where we couldn't get hold of data, um, people were making up stories to try and fit where they thought things were going. So uh, if the sales are bad, it was the bad weather. It wasn't because there was no stock or supply chain issues. There was bad weather. It was easy, and no one could you know, dispute that. Um, after being there for a number of years, I ended up being landing here in the States, and I've been here for now 26 years. I consider myself an American. and proud to say so. Uh, uh, but even here, too, different stories with different angles because of different perspectives and different lives. And, uh, and and different backgrounds. And so what I really love and what about me is about people. It's about making people successful with what they have, understanding what they have, and then being able to um, project that onto adding value uh, to making differences in other people's lives. Thank you very, very much. Uh, tell me a little bit about Vantage Point. Why did you start it? When did you start it? I know you've grown exponentially, Greg. Not a Not a whole company brochure, but just a little bit so people know what you do. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so I used to work for a, a, a software company where uh, it was in the EPM market, and um, uh, they were very much about uh, going to uh, grow to sell. Right? It was a it was a short term exit interview, which about um, exit exit strategy, which was you know quite common. Oh, uh, twenty years ago, even it was run about the um, uh, when when web websites were popping up all over the show. And one of the strategies was um, uh, grow quickly and then sell. And so in order to make it happen was to use partners. And I used to head up services for this company. And I realized there were a lot of really good people who were moving from company to company to company because they couldn't find a home. So uh, when I started Vantage Point, it was focused on financial planning, analysis reporting, and data integration. Everything that we do but with good people that they could have a home to live with. And so very much people-centric, but also adding value back. So uh, we're an SAP Gold partner. We focus on uh, what we call the business technology platform taken from SAP uh, to help ac- access data for Brian's uh, idea there as well. It's now available, but what data do you need? Uh, and then how to flesh that through to make, a, uh, to make good informed decisions. Thank you very much. And I noticed that your logo or your motto and your tagline is make your data talk business. So we're talking about business storytelling today. That was a nice tie-in. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Price. Let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my guest to send me a fictional character quote from a movie or a TV series or a song <laughs> lyric. We have some interesting ones. Brian Kalish, you've picked Caleb, played by Dumb. Domnall Gleeson, the movie is Ex Machina, I hope I'm saying that right, 2014 sci-fi film. Uh, Caleb Smith, computer programmer at the search engine company Blue Book, fictional, wins an office context contest for a one-week visit to the luxurious, isolated home of the CEO, Nathan Bateman, 
whose servant supposedly doesn't understand English. I'm sure that's key to the plot, but I'm not sure why. Uh, Nathan reveals he has built a humanoid robot named Ava or Ava. I'm not sure how you pronounce it in the movie with AI, artificial intelligence. Ava has already passed a Turing test. I'm going to give an example of that in a second or an explanation. And Nathan wants Caleb to judge whether Ava is genuinely capable of being sentient, thought and consciousness and whether he can relate to Ava despite knowing she is artificial. Let me just read a quick overview. Turing test, T-U-R-I-N-G, developed by Alan Turing in 1950. It's called the imitation game, is a test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. The machine answers questions, and do they sound like how a human would answer? Not are they right or wrong, but how would a human answer? Very, very interesting. Here's the line that Brian has picked. Some people believe language exists from birth, and what is learned is the ability to attach words and structure to the latent ability. I have no clue what this means. Brian, enlighten us, please. How'd you find this in that movie? Go ahead. So it's a great movie. And so I always love, again, the opportunity to, to, to talk to, uh, to your audience and, and try to take, uh, you know, part of the challenge that we have in public speaking is trying to be somewhat entertaining and trying to leverage sports and leverage movies. So um, it's a it's just a great movie. Like you said, uh, people should, if, if people don't aren't familiar with the Turing test, uh, there's actually a whole movie called The Imitation Game with, uh, I think, uh, Benedict Cumberbunch was the, uh, it's a fantastic movie. But really what I like about it is in, in this movie is that the, the uh, Caleb, uh, it's obvious. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a robotic uh, character. And so it's obvious it isn't a human. Right. But the test is, do you think it is? I mean, does it, you know, it goes back to the old thought of, you know, do we think, you know, can, can machines think? And so for the context of our uh, conversation today, I just wanted to modify the quote a little bit, which is, you know, for, you know, the quote is, let's instead of use the word language, let's say storytelling. Right. So is storytelling something that's innate or is it something that's learned? And so for me, it's just this classic story of, is it, is it nurture? Is it nature? Is it science? Is it art? You know, you know, how much of your ability to be a good storyteller is it's a skill that you were born with? And how much is it a skill that can potentially be learned? And since again, Bonnie sets us up with, well, these need to come from movies, for example. So I thought about in the same context of an actor, right? A great actor, do they have some level of just innate skill that hmm. permits them to be a great actor or how much of it is a function of learning? And so, you know, again, not trying to answer the question, but trying to set up the question, which is my desire to be a great actor and I have unlimited resources to mm -hmm. train myself. Does that actually make me a good actor? Will that actually, will that actually be what the outcome is? And so, you know, the, the idea for me is when we think about the skill, and I think sometimes because it's called fuzzy or warm or whatever, you know, we talk about storytelling. I say it's one of the three pillars of being an FBA professional. So I think part of it is just recognizing the ability to tell stories is a very important skill. And you can always improve. But the question to me is, can you take someone who just innately is not a good storyteller. And even if you put a lot of resources behind it, can you make them a great storyteller? And when, again, obviously we're talking about a very broad sense. It's not just a performance. Mm -hmm. 
but it's also creating presentations, you know, writing communications. And so I think it's kind of this bigger question of, you know, given the fact if you have the ability to specialize, right? If I've got one FPA person, they do everything, right? But if I've got a team of 300, should I have people that are focused on storytelling? Should I have people that are focused on business partnering? Should I have people that are more focused on the quant? And so that's what it meant to me. It's understanding that it's an incredibly important skill and we should treat it that way and not just assume that, oh, we'll send someone to a class and they'll learn how to be a good communicator or, or they'll be a good storyteller. So that's what the, the quote meant to me. Thank you, Brian. I'm thinking of parents telling their kids, are you telling stories again, little yeah. Brian? Are you telling me a story? Did you really not take that cookie out of the cookie jar? Did you really not take the cake off the windowsill? Did you really not splatter mud on your sister's guitar? Okay, Brian, stop with the stories, and here we are. But the interesting point, and, and we can uh, go around the table a little after we get everybody else's quotes, Brian, on whether this is a new job description. Is this a position you would hire for in the team of the CFO, finance storyteller? And you'd have to be very clear what you wanted them to do. Just mm-hmm. a quick yes or no, Pras, would we open a new new position here? Greg, you'll be next. Pras, go ahead. I think it's an absolute necessity as a skill set. I don't know if we need a storyteller per se, but I think every finance person needs to be a storyteller at the bare minimum. Thank you, Greg. Agree or disagree? We're not even in the roundtable and we're agreeing disagreeing. Greg, what do you think? I think typically finance folk are quiet and reserved (laughs) and conservative. And I think there's a good job opening going over here. I think Brian just started a whole new enterprise. I do too. I, very interesting. I, I like a little controversy. You're provocative, yeah. Brian, as always. Thank you very much. Let's go to the quote process pick. This is from Rip Wheeler, played by Cole <laughs> Hauser. The TV show, I haven't seen it yet, but I think I want to. I can't believe that Kevin Costner is doing this. Yellowstone, American neo-Western drama TV series, debuted just four years ago in 2018, and season five will start in a couple weeks on November 13th. Uh, Yellowstone's created by Taylor Sheridan, blah, blah, blah. Kevin Costner, Luke Grimes, Wes Bentley, Kelly Riley, Cole Hauser, and Gil Birmingham. Rip Wheeler is the ranch foreman at the Yellowstone Dutton Ranch, Dutton. And he's John's right-hand man and enforcer. He is taken in as a runaway after he killed his father, who murdered his mother and brother. He has an off-again, on-again relationship with Beth, played by Kelly Riley. Since they're teens, they marry in season four. The episodes follow the conflict along the shared border of a large cattle ranch, an Indian reservation, and land developers. That's all I know. Here's the quote process selected. This is good. There's sharks and there's minnows in this world, Jimmy. And if you don't know which one you are, then you ain't a shark. It's absolutely charming. Go ahead. What does this have to do with our topic? I can't wait. Go ahead, Pras. So there's two reasons I picked uh, this quote and this TV show. So the first is, yes, there's sharks and minnows. Um, You can interpret it as, as per the theme of this show today, there's storytellers and non-storytellers. And if you don't know which one you are, you're definitely not a storyteller. Uh, But the reason I did pick um, uh, Yellowstone is because, again, of storytelling effectively and you're right bond you as you said you haven't watched it and most people i talk to haven't watched it i live in an urban center i'd never watched it either i'd never even heard of this and you know i get a lot of my cues from you know watching the emmy awards or what i read and don't really get a lot of mentions in yellowstone until one day someone told me that you know it's the highest rated show on cable and i was like really and then you know i started doing my own research and i was like wow their season premieres get 
upwards of tw- like they get as many viewers as the NFL games and such. And there's a story behind that. The story is that the data supports the story. So in a way, when Greg talked about embellishing, I can't embellish the data there. I mean, it is the most highly viewed story. I mean, TV show in cable right now. And, you know, I've tried to get other people to watch it. And because I'm obsessed with the show, I think it's absolutely just fantastic. And when I do tell my story, I support it with the numbers. So it's a hard to embellish the data behind it. So that's really my passion is something that we wouldn't expect from a show called Yellowstone about cowboys and Montana, but yet the data supports it. And that's my story that it's just a fantastic show. And I encourage everybody to just give it a shot. Brass, that was wonderful. That was so lovely the way you opened the data and telling a story about the TV show. Very cool, Brass. That was really, really cool. I am going to watch it. I'm so intrigued with how Kevin Costner looks in the big 10-gallon cowboy hat strutting around the ranch on the... Pr- I see the promos all the time when I'm on stream. I gave up the cable box and I'm now on uh, streaming on on the cable company that starts with the S and ends with the M. Yes, long story, but it's okay. They had to teach me how to find everything, but I do. Okay, I'm going to put that this weekend, Pras. I'm due for a new TV show, Yellowstone. I will get back to you. Thank you. Greg Wright, who sent me the Gandalf quote I mentioned in the opening, and I said, wait a minute, that has the word storytelling in it. We can't do that. So we went through a whole list of options, and he came up with a quote by Dorothy Boyd, played by Renee Zellweger, the movie, of course, Jerry Maguire, 1966 American romantic comedy drama, sports film. Can we squeeze any more genres into that description, Greg? Yeah, I really. don't know. <laughs> Jerry Maguire is a slick 35-year-old sports agent at SMI, Sports Management International, after criticism from an injured player's son tri- tri- triggers a life-altering epiphany. I love it when Tom Cruise has an epiphany. He writes a mission statement about perceived dishonesty in sports management and his desire to work with fewer clients for a more developed, caring, personal relationship. Aww. SMI sends Bob Sugar, Jerry's protege, to fire him. Jerry and Sugar call Jerry's clients and convince him, don't hire him, don't hire him, don't hire Okay, they set that up. Jerry announces he'll start his own agency. Who's coming out the door with me? And Dorothy Boyd says, and here's the quote, you had me at hello. Oh, Greg, be still my heart. Go ahead. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. <laughs> well, everybody loves a good story. Everybody loves a good story. And just think about it when you're a little child and your parents sit down with bedtime and they tell you a story and not everyone's a good storyteller to Brian's point, but we all like a good story. Uh, and sometimes we like to tell a good story. Uh, this, I thought, actually was a great story. It had a really good personal element to it. Um, and, uh, you know, we can see how much we like stories by how much we actually paying these people in Hollywood, right? Ex- exorbitant sums to do what? Uh, so, Brian, I loved your idea there about, you know, do we have the skill? Is it inherent or not? Um, I think this goes very, very well to that. But all stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right? They all do, whether we acknowledge it or whether we think about it when we tell a story. The part that makes a good story is having something, one, intriguing, and the second thing is to start it off right. So um, when we begin the story with uh, something strong that can capture our imaginations and start our, our, our minds wondering what's next, that's when things really matter, and that's when the story happens. So if I mention some examples like it was a dark and stormy night, paint the picture right away, right? Once upon a time, there was a little girl that lived with her mother next to woods. She had golden hair and she was called Goldilocks. And she was told never to go into the woods alone. Oh, 
you know, we captivated. We want to hear more because we know she's going to go in those woods. Um, <laughs> I remember when I was 14, I read a book called uh, Run, Baby, Run by a, 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 his guy's name. I don't know why I remember this. Was, uh, was Nikki Cruz. And it started off with, catch that crazy kid, someone yelled, as I ran through Central Station. I was 14 years old. This was many decades ago, but I still remember that, and I don't know why. The bottom line is this. When we at FPNA mm-hmm. yep. have to tell our story, we typically start by saying, okay, everybody, sit down, and we're going to run through financials. And right away, they glaze over, right? Because most people, one, don't understand financials. Two, they got other things to do. And why on earth would they want to listen to something they don't really even understand? And so if we start the story right and we help them understand what, why it matters, that's when the story can be accepted, digested, and worked on. And so it's important for us as FPNA uh, professionals to get our audience to lean in, to listen when we begin. And, and so that was why I like the, no- the notion of you had me at hello. That should be our goal, that people actually listen to what we have to say the whole way through the presentation. Very, very well put. I appreciate that. Yes, and thank you all for picking such interesting quotes. Greg and I went over some quotes, and I, I gave him some examples. He said, that's it. That's the one. Um, I recently read something about headlines and article <clears throat> headlines, and one of the theories is that you have to have something called an empowerment statement. What will your audience take away from the time you first open your mouth or that first slide what is it you're doing that makes it worth their while to stay and listen or to start to listen and then decide to stay? I had never heard it put quite that way, an empowerment statement. What's in it for them? You had me at hello. Well, who's talking and what did he say and why is she staying there? And, and it was a dark and stormy night and Goldilocks is going into, oh, my God, she's going to meet the wolf. So it, it gives us, it engages that's the word. It engages. It draws us in. And that goes back to press the question of embellishment. How much do you draw in? And I remember when I was on the board of directors of my co-op, when I used to live on Long Island, we had our annual meeting in the lobby and everybody would sit there. Oh, God, it's the CPA's turn. What's he going to say this year? Do you really think anybody wanted him to go through a 42 or 92 page report? All they wanted to know was, are we solvent? Is the reserve fund secure? And are you raising the maintenance for us who live in the building next year? That's all we wanted to know. So the story, he could have just three sentences, no maintenance increase, your reserve is very healthy, and the building is financially in good shape. Thank you very much. Take a bow and pass out the candy or the beer, right? No, it would have been wine. Anyway, just a comment. Thank you all for the quotes. I appreciate it. Let's go to the real roundtable, but we've certainly been diving into this topic since we started. So Brian Kalish, here's what's going to happen. Let's keep this real brief and tight because I want to make sure we get to at least one statement from each of you. Brian, I'm going to read your statement number one. And uh, Pras, you know, you're going to move to the edge of your chair and Greg, you're going to move to the edge of your chair. Okay. Because I'm going to ask Pras right after Brian finishes three minutes, Max, Brian, please. I'm going to say Pras, agree or disagree with Brian. You get your three minutes and Greg, agree or disagree with Pras and or with Brian. Then Brian, a quick response to both of them. If there's anything controversial, Pras, I'll pick a statement from you at that point and put it in the chat and then one from Greg. Let's go. So statement number one from Brian Kalish, with analytics still the domain of data experts, 
data narratives will be the BI capability that makes analytics accessible to a broad audience. There's a lot to unpack in that one sentence, sir. Go ahead. So first of all, it's, it's you know, and we've commented on it, it's, it's what you do with the data, not how you get the data. You know, it, it really disappoints a lot of FP&A people and finance people to find out the business does not care where you got the data from. What they're interested in is the gems of insight that FP&A can share with them to help make those better, faster, smarter decisions and run the business better. So from an FP&A perspective, it's about figuring out how to share those insights in a manner that your audience can consume them, that you're really talking about a POV, right? It's proof of value. And so kind of the way I was kind of thinking about it is that, and it, I think it's been touched on a little bit, but you really have to think about numbers as an individual language. And there are people that understand numbers as a language and there are people that don't. And by definition, finance people do understand numbers. And so we can look at a spreadsheet and basically say, you know, there's a whole story that we can see. We can see one number and it tells us a complete story. But for the vast majority of people, that's not the case. And so then the onus is on us to understand how our audience consumes information. And so we have to be somewhat of a teacher Right. So when you're, you know, you're presenting a new concept to someone, do they understand it? If they don't, maybe you have to come up with a different way, a different way to tell the story. It could be, you know, understanding that some people understand the spoken word better. Some people understand written word better. Vast majority of people understand data visualization much better. I mean, we, we the research is out there. That's how we consume information. That, you know, there's a reason why we say a picture is worth a thousand words. And so it's understanding. And so it's that, it's that teacher component of it, but that you also have to be somewhat of a comedian. And I say that in the context is you have to understand your audience, right? A, you know, it's the classic, right? A joke that works in New York City might not work in Peoria, right? So part of it is it's all about the communication. And if you think about it, let's say I worked for Pratt's and he said, Brian, do some analysis. And I do the greatest analysis in the history of the world. And I present it to him in a report in Dutch. And if Prowse doesn't speak Dutch, all this work, the greatest analysis that's ever been done in the history of the world has absolutely no value. And so that's what's great. Analysis is great. The quant part of FP&A is great. But what's critical to the business is being able to share that with our business partners so that they can really leverage it to, you know, to, to, to understand what's going on. Why does it matter? Great bride, you, you put all these reports together, they look great, and they can even be built out fantastic. You have tremendous presentations, but I don't understand what your point is. And that's what it is. It's, it's the data itself, that, that world of acquisition of data, verification of data, reconciliation of data, that's not what FP&A should be focused on. That should all be automated away, and that's a whole other topic we have. But really, it, it's the idea of, you know, being able to give our business partners insight and value. Thank you very much. Good statement to start a conversation. Pras, agree or disagree with any or all of what Brian just unpacked? I agree with caution. How's that? With caution. Ooh. Okay. So I agree with caution only because uh, I think Brian started by saying that 
you know, data narratives will be the BI capacity that makes analytics accessible to a broad audience, which is absolutely correct. I mean, as FP&A or the finance department, traditionally information hasn't been held in spreadsheets. It's been, uh, you know, somewhat knowledge hoarding. People knock on your door, they ask for information, you release the hounds and release Mm -hmm. the data or whatnot. But, you know, modern organizations are moving more and more towards having BI that really reflects the data in a state that, as Brian talked about, you know, the picture tells a thousand words or whatnot. But I think that there's context in all stories because in a picture in the wrong hands can be misinterpreted in, a, in an erroneous manner, potentially. Uh, you know, what I often run, even in my daily job, is um, across people who... Again, I think there's a quote way back when, not, I'm not in the business of quotes right now, we've gone past that, but a little, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Some people, unfortunately, take a little knowledge and it becomes really dangerous in their hands and runs off and becomes something that we don't need it to be. So I think behind all stories, there has to be context and narratives, and that's what FP&A has to be careful of. I know it's controversial because there's organizations that release data to anybody and everybody, but I think data has to be in the right hands uh, in order to be able to make the right decisions. Thank you. Caution, good word. Very good word. And that goes to my question about embellishment, right? Okay. Let's go to Greg. Agree or disagree with Brian and or Press. You're up. Yeah, 98% I agree with Brian. There's one part there that I think, uh, listen, the whole notion of being able to talk the language of the people receiving the data, super important. And, And that, I think, Brian, was your main point. The only part I felt uh, we should probably just add a little bit to is, although that they, the, the, the business, when we tell them the stories, may not care where the data came from. And I think you're right that they don't care. But I think FP&A do care. Because I think that's one of the problems that we've had in the past, where we, we may be, okay, we've created our PowerPoints. Uh, and maybe it was even done in such a way that it wasn't in Dutch. It actually was in English. It was even in Canadian English. So prayers could, uh, could actually understand it. But, uh, but the data itself was drawn and manipulated and became personalized. And so I do think where the data comes from matters, but the general premise of, of, um, being able to tell the story that people can receive, understand and digest is 100% of the money. Thank you very much, Brian. Good opening statement. Quick comment back to your co-panelists. What do you want to say? No, excellent points. Like I said, it, it, it's additive. And um, you know, the, the, the one thing that I would share in the story, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if people are familiar with it, but it's the, it's the 60-30-10 rule. And research has been done that when people are speaking, what they take away is 60% of, what, of how you look, mm-hmm. 30% of how you sound, and 10% of what you're actually saying. And so I think it's probably the numbers are a little bit better in business than general communication. But it, if you think about it, 90% is how you look and how you sound and 10% is what you're actually saying. Well, wow, how about that? <laughs> you think we don't know that? Why do you think we went on Zoom? Because I want people to look into the eyes, right, Pras, of our speakers and see you all being real and authentic and telling what your truth to power is, whatever that means in the t- in the context. Yes, absolutely. Very, very, very well done. Thank you, Brian. Press, let's go to your statement number two. I like this. Let's do a reality check. Let's go deep into the dive of who, who what, why, and where. Modern FPA is a daily battle. 
process. I'm not going to read the rest. I want you to say it in your own words, Pras. Good opener. Go ahead. Yeah, modern FPNA is a daily battle, Bonnie, because, um, and in fact, I'm going to say there's best in class FPNA, and sadly, there's modern FPNA as well. And modern FPNA is still, I feel, stuck in the world of spreadsheets. I hope Greg can correct me and tell me that I'm wrong, and I would be thrilled to hear that. But I, I still come across many organizations that still live and breathe spreadsheets. In fact, um, you know, I, I, last week I was at a conference in Montreal and I was telling these um, FPNA professionals about how modern FPNA solutions uh, that are across the spectrum, um, you know, all have some very basic capabilities that are really game changers. They have analytics built in. They have machine learning and AI built in. They have collaboration. I mean, teams and all that stuff. It makes your life so much easier. And the question became, well, what about Excel? And I was like, who cares about Excel? I mean, you know, like, why are we living this world of spreadsheets? They're like, oh, no, no, we absolutely need Excel. So when I talk about this world, this trenches, and if you think about the old wars that were fought, people are stuck in trenches for, you know, eternities for like thousand days or whatnot. And you weren't moving anywhere back or forth, and yet the world is moving on ahead of you. So I think that a modern FP&A department, to become best in class, and there's so much research done in terms of what makes best in class, they have the analytics that Brian was talking about, they have the BI tools, they're able to tell a story on top of the data, and they're able to effectively shape outcomes in terms of narratives and what's about to happen. I mean, I always think about uh, myself personally, you know, I bank with a bank in Canada, and I don't go to my web client and download everything into a CSV file and put it into a pivot table and look at it in Excel and say, ta-da, I'm done. I mean, I expect, you know, opening it up on my mobile platform and the analytics there telling me what my spend patterns are what are and whatnot. So if it's good for us in our personal lives, why can't it be good for our business constituents? Wow. Very, very interesting. Put it on the line. And you know what I love about the new banking process that when I get a check, I just moved and I got a rebate on my insurances that I had just paid a year in advance in in Durham and I'm now in Tennessee and those checks came appreciated very quickly and very accurately I could just scan them on my phone and deposit them and wow everything has changed and I didn't need to anyway I'm not going to get into spreadsheets but thank you Greg Wright you're up agree or disagree with Mr. Chatterjee go ahead 100% agree it's a it's an it's an uphill battle for sure um, in fact, I, can I just add a little bit to what uh, Pras was saying there, which is to say, um, I, 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 I haven't been to an organization yet that hasn't used Excel. And uh, we used to say uh, 20, 25 years ago that Excel was the English language of business, right? Because everyone was in it. Uh, most people are still in it right now. And sadly to say, a lot of people are now thinking if they move to a it's a personalized modeling tool in Excel, right? But if they move to a personalized BI tool, they're thinking that they're solving the problem and they're thinking that that's becoming modern and that's not the case at all. All they're simply doing is moving the personalized review of data from Excel from a spreadsheet that only finance understands to a BI tool that maybe other people understand because it's got charts and graphs, but they're still not actually getting to the main problem and they're not moving to best of class. They're saying, as, as you put uh, prayers more on a second class kind of level of uh, FPNA. Thank you. Brian, you've got two people to talk to, Press and Greg. Go ahead. Well, I think, you know, it, it's spot on. I mean, I think it's funny. I don't know who put out a survey recently and it was like, you know, li list all the, you know, the, the tools that you use. And 95% of companies said that they use, you know, Excel or, or worksheets. 
Um, and that raised a question, which is, what's the other 5% doing? Are they still on paper and pencil? I mean, it's 100% what we're talking about. The, and, and it has nothing to do with size. I mean, there's plenty of companies, $50 billion, $60 billion companies that are using massive Excel spreadsheets. Um, I think the challenge is getting people, it's a bigger question, which is you're asking finance people to make technology decisions and it's scary. And so, you know, for most finance people, they might buy one system in their entire life and they don't want to be wrong. And one of the ways that I can avoid being wrong is by not making a decision. And so there, I think there's just a lot of inertia to doing things because by definition, you have a system that probably works. We're not talking about efficiency or effectiveness, but it works. And part of it, I think also is, um, and Praz and I, I think, may have been speaking about this recently, which is the CFO doesn't feel pain, right? They ask for something. If it takes 12 hours to get, they get the answer. Where the real push has to come from, from adapting these new tools, making my team more effective, is really kind of like a, whoever you want to call it, the, the head of FP&A, and push that to get my people really trying to move low IQ activities off the plates of high IQ people. And so, yes, I think there's a tremendous opportunity. I'll cheat a little bit and say one of my predictions will be less use of, of Excel over the next five years and much more into more advanced, more effective, more efficient BI tools. I think we've been predicting that for a long, long, long time, just like, but not quite as long as predicting that we wouldn't have paper checks anymore. <laughs> right? We would get rid of paper. Yeah, I just ordered new checkbooks with my new address. By the way, where I am in Tennessee now, nobody wants you to pay by credit card. All the service people, even the hair salons, don't do it. Different price, 4% added. They do not want credit card payments. All they want is a paper check. Okay? I'm yeah. learning. I'm learning this very quickly. Just get your checkbook out and pay them. That's all they want. Forget about the plastic. Cross, this was your statement. Anything you want to say back to the two co-panelists? Yeah, I mean, Brian made a point about the CFO feels no pain. I mean, I, I think we can probably do a, a show on how to make the CFO feel some pain. And because, I mean, that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that might be how we get to this world of best in class. Because, I mean, Brian is right. I mean, uh, there are many organizations that by doing nothing, you don't feel any pain and you don't make any bad decisions or take any risks or whatnot. And I think, you know, we talked about the fact that this audience is very conservative, but you have business constituents that need data and information from you and you need to build a business case. And that might be part of it as well, building this business case upwards to the CFO about how, yes, you might not be feeling pain, but we're feeling pain. And if we're not feeling pain, we can do better analysis for you. And I, I think there's a lot more for this as well. And that I'm just going to spend 10 seconds talking about the fact that, you know, I've been meeting a lot of FPA professionals that have been telling me that they've been having a hard time hiring young people to get into FPA. And part of this is that if you're using Excel and data technology, mm -hmm. I mean, how are you going to hire the best and brightest to be excited to come into this profession and use this as an avenue to become CFO versus another route? Uh, so I think there's a lot of things that need to change in this. But yeah, maybe one day we explore how to make the CFO feel pain. Very, very interesting. And this is a, a multi-industry challenge, Pras yeah. and Brian and Greg. It's in manufacturing. It's in everywhere. How do you get New talent, I'm not going to say young, new talent to come in if you're doing same old boring, boring, when we're all using whatever we want in our personal digital life. We're using 
fast apps. We're using, we have the ability to pick and choose. And you're saying, come into the job. We're still using Excel. Okay, that's just fine. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm going to go. Okay, I got to go to work. I'm going to do some spreadsheets today. You have to make it excellently sexy and compelling and speedy and making a difference. And the anyway, values of the company, that's a whole other thing. Thank you very much, Pras. We have time to squeeze in one statement from Greg Wright. Let's do this. This is interesting. He says, FP&A is often incorrectly classified as a cost center. Greg, I'm going to let you run with this. Take about three minutes and then a real quick comment from the other two. Go ahead, Greg. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, I, I get so frustrated because when I walk into you know, clients that, I, that we work with, and I even think about myself when I was in FPNA, we were the neural network, right, of the company. All the data comes to us. We're the one place in the organization where we know what's happening with costs, we know what's happening with sales, we know what's happening with salaries, we know what's happening with the outer marketplace, and, and you know, we are it. And we do, we've done such a poor job in promoting what we know. We sit there with gold nuggets, we put them all together in Excel, and we go and talk Dutch to everybody. And there's nothing wrong with Dutch unless you don't speak Dutch, going back to Brian's example. And so the frustration I feel is that uh, finance sit there with, with incredible knowledge and understanding, with great recommendations, and, and they should be seen as a revenue, as a profit center, because they should be talking to their executive leadership and saying strategically, these are what we're seeing, this is what you should be thinking about, and this is our recommendation. And in the line of business, they should be producing reports and showing, this is what we expected, this is where you're going, these are your key performance indicators that you should be measuring in order to make sure that you're adjusting how you do business in order to meet those expectations. So don't just give them a spreadsheet. Don't just give them a lecture that they don't understand. Don't send out a 25 or 99 slide PowerPoint. That's a cost center. No one sees value in that. If we help to, if we help our audience to understand the value that we see, that would make a difference and drive revenue to the company versus simply be seen as a data collector, data manipulator and spreadsheet operator. And it might also help attract young data scientists who want to come in and work for you, right? That's part of it. Brian, uh, a 90-second response. Go ahead and then press. I love exactly what was just spent. And it's the whole idea, and again, it's something I truly believe in, so it's easy for me to agree, which is moving, you know, FP&A from a cost center mentality to a profit center, right? Get out of the world of how do I minimize cost to how do I maximize, you know, business value, you know, explaining our financial performance versus, you know, how do we improve our finance performance? You know, how do we eliminate risk? You know, what's the right risk to take value through, you know, data and reporting much more about, you know, providing relevant insights. And the one I really think about is in a cost center, you think about how can I succeed by reaching my own objectives? And when finance and FP&A thinks about being a profit center, I focus on how, you know, I succeed by helping others succeed. Oh, I like that very much. Thank you very much. That's the idea of being the steward of the business, isn't it? Helping others succeed, not just look what we did in our basement with our spreadsheets. Pras, you get the final word on Greg's statement. Go ahead. Well, Greg made a point that finance is a steward of the business, that they 
know all the data, whether it's the revenue, the sales, the costs, and everything. So I don't think anybody's disputing that finance should be a leader, that they should, the profession, FP&A, planning and analysis, should spend a lot more time on the analysis piece. But I think to get the way to get there is to have the arsenal to handle this. It's about having your analytics and your planning system connected to your ERP. So as transactions are happening in real time, you're able to you know, do variance analysis and really have a pulse on the business versus doing this a week later at the end of the month. I mean, for finance to be a true profit center, I think they have to get up to date. They have to have modern technology. They have to work smartly, not these 12, 14 hours that the CFO makes them feel pain with. And they have to be proactive in terms of giving guidance, in terms of not just talking about what happened yesterday, but talking about what's about to happen tomorrow. And I think that's where they truly come full circle and becoming a profit center. Thank you. And I just wanted to make a comment, Greg, I'll let you have uh, one minute of response to them. But I remember uh, somebody just a couple of minutes ago talked about when you, you start, you embrace or adapt a new system. Uh, the answer is, no, we're not going to do, we're just going to sit on the fence and not do anything, but go back to Yoda, do or do not. There is no mm. try, right? Make a decision and live with it. Greg, comments back to Brian and Pras. Go ahead. Yeah, no, this is great. I think we'll feel the same thing. Uh, uh, having a having an enterprise model solution that is real time. It's all about it. It's all about insights and transparencies, and and then communicating well. And um, so by not doing something to your point there, Bonnie, it can be super costly, and that's the pain for the CFO. By not doing something, how much business are you actually losing, and how much are you um, you know harming the company as opposed to growing it. Thank you very much. Thank you all. I have a quick bonus round really, really fast. The answer is either yes or no in one sentence with one comma, one semicolon, and one period at the end. Brian, I'm talking to you. And the question is, one year from now, if we revisit the topic of FP&A storytelling, will it still be a topic or will everybody have listened to today's show and be doing it well? Okay, Pras, I'm going to start with you because you picked the topic. Pras, yes or no and why? Yes, it will continue to be a topic. And yes, there will be many people on this journey. Oh, very elegant. Greg, what do you think? It'll still be a topic and uh, it's still going to be a, a massive growth going in. Okay, Brian, what do you think? Well, I think it's still going to be a topic. And what we're really moving towards is standardization in a positive way about storytelling. And if you think about it, is again, FP&A is a universal uh, profession discipline. Storytelling is universal. And what I, I, my goal is to help organizations present their information like sheet music, right? Doesn't matter where in the world you are. Doesn't matter the type of music. Doesn't matter when it was written. I under, if I understand the information, I can read it. Thank you very much. Also very elegant and eloquent. We've been talking about enhanced planning and analysis, the superpower of storytelling and analytics. I think we should flip that around analytics in storytelling or analytics supporting storytelling. Pras, I would change that if we do a part two. Brian Kalish, Kalish Consulting, thank you very much. Don't go away, gentlemen. I want to take some more pictures. Pras Chatterjee at SAP, always, always. Greg Wright, so good to have you back at Vantage Point Business Solutions. A shout out to Pras and Chris Grundy, colleague at SAP, for sponsoring the show for so many years. We want season 12. Yes, we do. Everybody say season 12, season 12, season 12. There we go. Brian, I know you're saying it, but you're quiet. I want to say thank you to Andrew, our engineer at the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. And let's go out with my old, old closing. Prasi, remember this. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Brian Kalish, just like Pras Chatterjee, just like Greg Wright. 
Signing off. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.